And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. They awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he, Jesus, arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Father, I pray your blessings upon the reading of your word. I pray that you'll use these lips of clay, that Christ will be honored in what's said and done. I pray that there will be victories claimed here tonight in our lives, whatever they might be, and that in it all, Jesus will gain the honor and the glory and the praise. In his name I pray, amen. There was a storm, Typhoon Cobra, in the Western Pacific in December of 1944. Three American destroyers capsized, and most of the crew was lost. One ship, the USS Taberer, went to the rescue despite the fact that their mast and their antenna was gone. And they, this one crew, rescued 55 of the sailors that were in the sea of a total of 96, all that was saved out of almost a thousand men. A storm at sea is a pretty disastrous event. When I served in New London, Connecticut, the destroyer I was on, we had a a hurricane come up the east coast in September 1951. And we were home on weekend liberty, and the crew that was on liberty was contacted, and we had to race back to the base, to the sub-base. And when we got there, we had to board our ship so that we could get underway. We didn't want to be caught in the, inside uh, the submarine base at New London when the storm hit. Now, we took off a running. We headed straight out east in Long Island Sound, heading for the open sea. Uh, now, submarine sailors did it different. They went out a little ways and sunk themselves, and they figured that the storm would pass over. And it did. <clears throat> but it's a fearsome thing when we see nature in our minds at its worst in destroying uh, people and places and things. Now, great preachers have gone through this portion of the Word of God, and they have shared with their group, as I'm going to try to share with you tonight. But Jesus was the greatest of preachers. He had just got finished with uh, uh, the early part of the chapter with parables, proclaiming the truth of the Word of God. The people had followed him from a wayside down to the place where he was right at the Sea of Galilee. And he was there teaching them. The great, greatest preacher. 
the crowds were seeking relief. But what we need to realize is what we're talking about here in this particular portion of Scripture. We see the evidence that Jesus Christ was God and Jesus Christ was man. He was the God-man. Jesus Christ is our God. Now, we don't have much of a problem. I don't have much of a problem with that. Uh, Our Muslim friends say that he was a good man and he was a prophet. He's not the only one. Now, this book was written by John Shelby Spong, saying why Christianity must change or die. Now, this guy's the bishop of the Episcopal Church in Newark, New Jersey. I'm ashamed to say, my hometown. The Bible never says in a simplistic way that Jesus is God. Jesus prays to God in the Gospels. He's not talking to himself. Jesus dies on the cross. It makes no sense to say that the Holy God died. Oh. Then he says later on that the scriptures teach all masculinity and that Jesus might have married Mary Magdalene. And he views the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a physical resuscitation and was late developing tradition in the early Christian. (coughs) He also tells us that the birth of Christianity is not dependent upon the orthodox theory of the resurrection. Now, I don't recommend anybody read these things, but sometimes we do to find out what the other side's saying. Sickness does not result from sin being punished, nor does it cure result from our prayers for God's intervention. We just get better. Today, whether his critics like it or not, Charles Darwin's thought organizes the biological science of the Western world. That strange thing called creation science is nothing more than ignorant rantings reflecting a frightened and dying religious mentality. Now, that's what some others are saying. Let me tell you what I think. I think that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. I think that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. I think that Jesus Christ was, uh, his, his virgin birth was testified to by many. <clears throat> Elizabeth, the sister or cousin, uh, spoke great wonders as she was awaiting John the Baptist to be born. Now, It's so important for us to understand this important basic doctrine, principle, as found in the Word of God. It doesn't give us any leeway to say, well, I just don't believe that. We must believe that. For if there's no resurrection, there's no hope for any of us. You see, the resurrection is what Christ set the example when he came. He lived his perfect life. He lived a perfect death. And the purpose was to pay the price for our sin, for my sin. And anyone who says that Jesus Christ was not God, there's something wrong with their thinking. Now, we can agree the fact that he was a man, but he was born of woman. Joseph was not his father. They said that he was, this, this, not Joseph's son. No, he was Mary's son. He was begat of God. 
the Holy Spirit of God impressed upon Mary, planted the seed, and from this virgin birth, our Savior was born. Now, we see scriptures all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Prophetic scriptures speaking about this coming Christ, the one who would come for 300 years. The texts of the, of the Old Testament had been there and nothing had happened. For 300 years, they were waiting for this Messiah to come. They thought surely he would come. They were waiting from all the way back in the time when Eve was in garden. She says, I have got a man from the Lord. She expected then that the Messiah would be her son. The Gospels in great detail in Matthew and Luke speak of this virgin birth, speak of his early life. Mary said that she was, she was not a, a, a loose woman. She said, spoke to the angel. She said, how can this be since I have known no man? Joseph, not embarrassed, not ashamed, took her as a, uh, married her and never consummated the marriage until after they were, they were married and Christ was born. Gabriel spoke of the wonders of Christ. Mary, I think one of the great portions of Scripture, when the angel visited her, she said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. He has done this great thing to me. These were all testimonies to the fact that Jesus Christ, yes, was the son of Mary. But all through the Scriptures, we find a testified the fact that he was the son of God. The centurion at the crucifixion said, Truly this must be the Son of God, as Jesus was laying down his life, a ransom for many. Saul of Tarsus, when he saw the, the stoning of Stephen, had his life changed and he became Paul the Apostle. And much of our New Testament scripture was written inspired as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God uh, to bring the truths to us as we have in our church doctrines today. The evidence is that Christ was a son of God. The evidence is that Christ was born of a woman. Now, this situation that we speak of here in the fourth chapter of Mark brings out the manliness and the godliness of Jesus of Nazareth. We find that because of all of the preaching that had been going through that day, he was weary, he was tired. He got into the boat. The boat was pushed off from the shore, and he lay down in the stern sheets there and slept because he was physically worn out. As a man, he was tired. He needed the rest. Uh, we're told that uh, the sea is some six or 700 feet below sea level, below the level of the Mediterranean Sea. And it's not unusual for a great storm to come up with no warning, little warning, and be a great tempest. Master, the tempest is raging. We sing that in one of our songs. But Jesus Christ, according to John's first chapter, tells us in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God, and all things were created in Him. There wasn't anything made that was not made by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. No man could do that. No man had such power in the world within himself to do the things that we are told in the scriptures that Jesus did. He is the great creator, this great universe. 
And you know, oh my, sometimes I try to think about how great this universe is. What is it? It's so close as what, uh, I think 240,000 miles to the moon. 93 million miles to the sun. The closest star that we know of that has bright enough to shine is Proxima Centaurus and it's 4.2 light years away. Now, what's a light year? (laughs) One light year is equal to something like six trillion miles. Can we comprehend the universe that God has created through the person of Jesus Christ? At night, we can look and we see the stars and we see the sky. And as far as we can see, it's not the end of God's physical universe. But the problem that we have often is, you see, we get mixed up with the physical and the spiritual. Before any of this physical universe came into being, God lived in his spiritual life and Jesus Christ was on the throne of God. And because of our sin, he left his throne of glory and counted it but loss. His hands were nailed in anger upon the cruel cross. Why? Because we sinned and we needed a Savior. And this one who created the vast universe beyond our comprehension to believe how far out the physical universe goes, God was there in the beginning when Christ created it all. And Jesus stood in the back of the ship in the midst of the storm. And the disciples came and said, Master, don't you care that we perish? This storm is about to overtake us. And Jesus said, why is it that you're so worried? I just want you to worry, watch this and see. And he says, peace, be still. And the boat that was about to be swamped, covered with water, maybe even to the point of sinking, the winds and the waves obeyed his will, and everything ceased. And the sea became calm. And they asked the question then, what manner of man is this, that even the things of nature obey his will? Well, He is the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The crowds that had sought belief didn't see this wonder themselves, but they realized that the storm had come and it had passed. And I'm sure that this story was told to others when the disciples had the opportunity to do so. But you see, even in the midst of this, Jesus Christ had had great compassion uh, for the people. They were concerned. Uh, that they might sink. And Jesus stilled the storm to calm their voice and uh, their, their stormy mind so that he then uh, could express his compassion. We see, in a way, they complement each other. Uh, the sea, the wind, and the waves obey his will. But Jesus was the creator, and naturally that they would obey his will. Uh, we, we do things so different today from last week. Uh, I guess we might remember some of the, uh, I've only been saved since 1954, so uh, only one or two occasions that I had to see the old sawdust floor tent meetings. My pastor for three and a half years was Jesse Henley. He was an evangelist in the tent meetings 
the 1930s and 1940s. And he preached Jesus Christ, the righteous, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Jesus Christ in a body of flesh, that he could live the life that we would live but without sin. And say, fellas, this is how it's done. And we fail in our shortcomings. We don't come close to what Jesus allowed for us to do. But we don't see the same kind of spiritual awakening within our churches and our communities today that we once did. I was saved in a little church in East Point that's no longer in existence. And it was not unusual for us to have a week's meeting. And if it was really good to go on to a second week, learn that from the Methodists. They had their protracted meetings. It was not unusual to see 50 or 60 or 75 people saved in a week's time. I think if we had 50 or 75 people walk the aisle here one Sunday morning, we'd have to get Jimmy over here to parrots or somebody. Maybe the rest of us too. You know, God's not changed. God is still able to do these things. God sits and waits on his throne for us to call out to him the things that we need. And we don't have them because we don't ask. You have not because you ask not. That's a preacher's job. No, it ain't. It's a job for all of us. To meet him, to know him, and to share him. The importance of witnessing was shared with us this morning. Now, don't tell God a lie. But think right now, when was the last time you witnessed to someone about their soul, their lost estate, and their need to meet Jesus Christ as a personal Savior? When was the last time we seized or made an opportunity to tell someone about Jesus Christ? I'd like to go through the drive-in over here at the McDonald's or someplace, and i like for them to say, have a good day, whatever. Well, oh, my day's already good. I woke up this morning feeling fine. I woke up with Jesus on my mind. Sometimes I'll sing it. Just a simple, simple witness as to what God has done for me and God has done for you. A preacher that I knew that went to uh, uh, sitting at a count- lunch counter, and the guy next to him says, you do it, carrying on the conversation. preacher says, does your cup ever runneth over? The man didn't understand the spiritual impact. He said, well, these waitresses are so sloppy. They just flop it down there in the spill. No, that's not what he was talking about. He was so filled with joy and wonder as to what Christ has done for him that his cup overflowed. I must admit it's been a while since my cup overflowed. It's not God's fault. It's not your fault. It's my fault. If we worship a God in the person of Jesus Christ, the God-man, born of a woman, lived without sin, died a perfect life to pay the price for our sin, who are we to think otherwise? Well, the responsibility that we have uh, is not the ridicule that these people make of the person of Jesus Christ. The responsibility that we have is to believe that God is going to do what he said that we do, and he wants us to ask that he'll do it. 
there's some homespun scripture that's not in the book. You know, God helps those who help themselves. Well, that's not in the book. But it's a pretty good adage. Speaks pretty good stuff. God will help us if we help ourselves. Now, we can't, he, we can't help ourselves get saved. And we can't help ourselves do a lot of things. But if we're willing to do what we can, God waits to empower us to do the things that we must. These men that were in the boat with Jesus, we don't know whether it was a little bitty boat where they were rowing or whether it had a sail stuck up in the... Uh, boy, if it was, had a sailboat in a storm like that, that's tough. It's so easy for a sailboat that's top-heavy to get flopped over. In a, uh, we don't know. Maybe these fellows, let's just say that they had oars. They were rowing. And within the midst of the storm, they didn't stop their rowing. They still had a job to do. They had a task that lay before them. And the task must be performed not by those on the side on the beach, but ta- the task must be performed by them. Oh, our God created everything. We wonder sometimes why he created us. For our little span of years where we might make an influence, uh, exert some influence on others. And so many opportunities we just let pass by. But these gentlemen in the boat continued to row and they strengthened themselves just by doing what they were supposed to do. And we strengthen ourselves spiritually if we do what we're supposed to do. And one of the things that we all can do, every one of us, we can pray. Psalm 34, 15 says, The eyes of the Lord rest upon the, uh, the prayers of the, of the righteous. God wants us to pray. In Matthew, the 15th chapter, I believe it's the 15th chapter, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. All this. Tell you what, you just get started reading. I don't encourage anybody to start reading the book of Acts. Because you get started and you can't quit. You get the first chapter, then then you get where Jesus has ascended. You get in the second chapter uh, where the power of God came on the day of Pentecost. And on to the third chapter and the fourth chapter. And then you've seen it where, where uh, Stephen, uh, oh, he, did, he wasn't polite at all. He called the leaders there, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart. And they killed him. Why, the book of Acts is just filled with the mysteries of God. And the outcome of the Spirit of God working through the hearts of people all the way through the book of Acts. Get the same thing back in the book of Exodus, if you were to choose. Peter said in his first epistle, speaks of joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's what salvation should be to us. It should be joy unspeakable and, and full of glory. And the basics in our lives are important to us if we adhere to them. You see, Jesus is able, he is only is able to do the things that he has promised to do in the word of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. Fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah who would come. Even fulfilled the New Testament prophecies, though those who followed him didn't understand all of the things that he had to say. In the 16th chapter 
of the book of Matthew. Jesus was speaking to the group. And he says, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some say Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he, Jesus, saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And big mouth Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And what Jesus is saying, he's going to build his church upon the rock, the faith that Peter had to see him as the Messiah, as the Christ of God. More than just an itinerant preacher. More than some guy that went out there sending a leper to bathe himself, that he'd be healed of a leprosy. Or unstopping the ears of the deaf. Or putting clay balls on the eyes of the blind. And healing the man that was lame. And waiting there even for the, for the, to bring forth someone from the death, from dead. Peter understood those things. We are in a different generation. The only real record we have of what Christ had done is found in this great, wonderful, glorious book, God's Holy Bible. I think that God wants us to come unto him. I think he wants us to come to him meek and lowly of heart, following the example that he said, Not necessarily to be crucified, but to be willing to be crucified for the cause of Christ. No one else can do for us like he can do for us. No one else can make the decision for us, but we ourselves. Father, I pray your blessings upon the word now. I pray, Lord, that our hearts will have been touched by the Holy Spirit. I pray, dear Lord, that as you present these pleadings before the throne of God, speaking as our advocate, speaking as our intercessor, speaking as one who waits to hear from us, that if there is a need here tonight, a spiritual need that can only be satisfied in the person of Jesus Christ, a lost person might be saved, A saved person might be called to a closer walk with thee. Some might be called to full-time Christian service. Some might just be willing to do more than they have been doing. Speak to my heart, Lord Jesus, I pray. In your name, amen.